Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have a special guest with me. I have Rachel Larson. Rachel is a qualified nutritionist and naturopath who specializes in helping women to get to the root cause of their bloating. And then she helps them to beat the bloat so that they can actually feel free, comfortable, and confident in themselves, which is just so powerful and absolutely incredible. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so happy that you're here today. Thanks for having me, Michaela. It's uh, I'm excited to be talking about bloating to more people. I'm passionate about it. <laughs> yes, we got to open up that conversation. I love it. Did you want to tell us a bit about yourself, Rachel, your own journey, if you've been on it? What got you into this area of bloating specifically? Sure. So um, my health, I feel like I resonate with a lot of my patients and people I work with because a lot of people feel, feel that they are lost in the healthcare system, like they're falling through a crack, that no one can find anything wrong with them tests are coming back normal and yet they feel horrendous and that was kind of my life for many years starting from my early teens until really I found naturopathy at the age of 20 how old was I 20 22 when I started studying it so I guess there was a 10-year journey of misery and you know it didn't feel like there was a light at the end of the tunnel um, and I had many issues to do with like my gut so I had you know constipation I had um, acne I had hormonal imbalances pretty bad anxiety and depression I was a bit of a mess and yet I was told everything checks out and you're normal <laughs> which I was like I I really hope this isn't normal. Mm. Um, and I guess it was really through that exploration of my own needs that I thought, what, like, you know, what what else could I be looking at? And so stumbling across a naturopath um, really kind of was like an aha moment for me and kind of spurred me on to study at that time. It was, was going to be my second degree and it was my second degree of naturopathy. And I guess at the end of that degree, I moved into a gut health clinic, originally um, working with others. It was an integrative GP and naturopath. So I really kind of honed in on my love for the gut because it was a big part of my picture, but that was kind of what the focus was. And that in combination with some of the issues that were running through my family, I was like, man, the gut is incredibly powerful. Um, it is so important for our health. And it's such an exciting place of like science at the moment where we're learning so much about it. And I guess then it got down further into that, into bloating, because every person I was treating had bloating. And I thought this can't be right. And people are getting fed such misinformation. I thought, man, I have to cut through this BS. These mm. mostly women, but these women, really, uh, men too, but these people need to feel better. Like it's just not good enough that they got the excuses and comments I got way back when, you know, they deserve to live better. So that's, I guess, the long and the short of it, how I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I just think it's, it's crazy how many people can relate to your story right because it means that so many other people have been through it as well and obviously your journey has sparked such a strong passion which i love and now you're doing something incredible and helping so many other amazing people work through their bloating so that they can actually feel free and confident in themselves and i know i went through something so similar as well of getting tests back from doctors and they being like you're all sweet you're like you're in the ranges and you're like eh, but like am i meant to feel like this is bad <laughs> yeah like my pants aren't doing up because i'm so bloated and it's also crazy because then they're like well bloating's normal you know maybe you just ate a large meal maybe you've just 
done X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yeah, I, I get like stomach expanding a little bit after a big meal, but like not to the point that my pants don't fit me anymore. So I think, and I actually, I'd love for us to start in that exact place of is bloating actually normal and to what extent? Yeah. So it's great that like, this is a starting point because mm. I think people use the word like common and normal interchangeably. Like yeah. it's, it's normal to have bloating. No, no, no. It's not normal to have bloating. It's just very common to have bloating, meaning that a number of people also experience it. Yes. There are times where I would say that's a normal body response in terms of bloating. And that is overeating like you know you're putting a lot of stress on your body not chewing your food um being you know eating on the run having lots and lots of bubbly drinks like you're gonna be bloated because like you're you're challenging your body in a way where you're really not treating it that well where it's going to give off that symptom but for the rest of the time when people are feeling bloated and this could be when they're eating breakfast, when they wake up feeling bloated, when they have something like a healthy stir fry or a smoothie or a salad and they feel like they're six months pregnant, that's not normal. That's not anywhere near normal. Um, There's something funky going on in the gut and it's just, it hasn't been figured out yet, but don't tell, don't let anyone tell you that that is normal because that's not. Mm, Yeah. And I know for a lot of my clients who have, come from a background of disordered eating behaviors or the the yo-yo dieting restricting overeating or binge eating that the bloating that they experience is just like so out of normal there's no routine to it there's no it's just like they eat one thing and then next minute they're so incredibly bloated and i know i experienced a very similar thing from my background of also restrictive eating and then overeating and binge eating and things like that and for me my gut i had just like it was absolutely destroyed. It was like, I've had enough. I don't know what to do. Like you just keep restricting and overeating and chucking. Like it was just, it was crazy. And do you find that that is something that you see often as well, a link between restrictive eating or that yo-yo dieting that's happened in the past and a disrupted gut? And how does that, like, how do those two? connection? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I think are connecting that. I think the first thing I'll talk about is the massive nervous system connection. Mm. I think we can all agree that any kind of, uh, disordered eating or, or like, you know, a, a challenged relationship with food has a nervous system component to that. And we think about when our body is in that place of essentially fight, flight, freeze, um, that's in a place where it's directly in opposition with our parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and digest. And if you heard me say that, one of the key functions of rest and digest is digest. So if you're in this constant fight, flight, freeze, which is associated with any feelings of stress, anxiety, overwhelm, which, you know, thinking about an eating disorder, which again, I've got a history of binge eating myself. So I'm totally in that club too. I know there was very few times I had calm thoughts in my mind because I was Mm -hmm. constantly stressed and thinking about food and over a long period of time that can just essentially tell your body food and digestion is not a priority because our body is in a fight flight freeze where it thinks it's really fearing for its life so it kind of starts to shut off um, and misdirect um, the nervous system to other places of the body of perceived need if that makes sense so massive nervous system component and we have to do healing for that so even when you're recovered and you have a healthier relationship with food that nervous system has a huge memory like a memory of an elephant it still remembers what you were going through 5 10 20 years ago if it hasn't gone through that real recovery that real deep recovery of nervous system that needs to be um so nervous system is one of them and then the other one is just the 
the like the presence and the absence of food and how that can change things like the the makeup of your microbiome um how the signaling works to your acids and enzymes to kind of function mm-hmm. properly it's it's getting a lot of miscommunication or kind of you know like it's like are we working are we not and again those things take a long time to recover so i think those would yeah. probably be two two connections i can think of And I love that you even touch on the nervous system as a huge one. And I think that goes and can play out in so many different areas and highlighting that, like you said, it it has a memory for years back of what happened. For me, in in my journey, I lost my period for a long period of a year or just over a year and I got it back. But now I have to be so careful of all the other lifestyle things that I do, you know, making sure I'm eating enough, making sure my exercise doesn't increase, making sure that my lifestyle isn't too stressful because my body now just has that natural response of as soon as I push it a little bit too far, it's like, okay, we're gonna shut down, you know? that function in your body again and so it's crazy how what you said about it has that memory and it will remember and it will go back to what it knows yeah and like thinking about not just you know eating disorders but you know trauma that happens even from childhood like you know whatever that looks like in terms of the context you experienced it some people can really have lifelong issues from a dysregulated nervous system that comes from or that stems from like really early beginnings so it's not one to overlook when we think about the gut people always think well what can I do with my diet and what can I take with a supplement and it's like what can you do with your nervous system and I find Mm -hmm. that a lot of my patients where we do so much work on the diet and using supplements to help their body heal themselves and eventually the the end is the end goal is to get off the supplements they still potentially haven't quite got around to the idea that the nervous system matters until we kind of go through everything else. And they're like, hang on a second. I'm not really doing as much work as I need to on my nervous system. And I still have about 20% of my symptoms left. I'm like, that's probably the remaining 20%. Work on your nervous system and you'll feel great. Yeah. And so what would be some of the top things that people could start to do to work on their nervous system? I honestly think go start talking to a counsellor, you know, in terms of, you know, um, other practitioners, I don't mind if it's um, tapping like your EFT or if it's Reiki or if it's hypnotherapy or if it's a counsellor, like really working with a professional in that area on a level of consciousness, which is things that you can talk about, but also maybe working with people that support your nervous system on an energetic level. So things that you don't even know you need to be addressing, but your body's holding onto it. So that's kind of the subconscious stuff. But from a a gut nervous system connection, um, I like to get people to use different apps like the Nerva app, that's N-E-R-V-A. And that one is a great um, vagus nerve support. It's really about gut mind directed hypnotherapy. So if they're finding that, you know, their symptoms are like worse when they're stressed. This is this is a great app um, that can really support that. But then also doing things like, are you sleeping? Are you getting daylight? Are you doing exercise? Are you being mindful of the content you consume? How are your relationships? What's your work like? All the base, I say basic stuff, but all the stuff that we're thinking about um, that can influence how we feel about ourselves in the day-to-day. So it is really holistic. Like we've got to think about everything that, we're coming into contact with and how that may be increasing our stress or allowing us to be calm. Mm, Because it's so natural as humans for us to feel bloated and automatically be like, okay, what food have I eaten that's caused that? (laughs) And there's so many other factors that actually could be playing into that that have nothing to do with food. You could have just had the most stressful day at work. You could have had a fight with a loved one. Like something else could be causing that bloating for you that has nothing to do with the food. 
Yeah, it's just the fact that your body's been switched. It's switched off its digestive capacity. So any food you've put into the body, it's going to be thinking, I'm not here for this. I'm still I'm still so upset about the fight I had with my boss. I, you know, the enzymes and acids are just taking, you know, a step back. And I should also say, um, just in regards to food, I also challenge people to reconsider if the food is causing their symptoms or if the food is triggering their symptoms. And you might be thinking like, that sounds a bit pedantic to kind of get really nitty gritty on that word. But when we're thinking about cause, it's, you know, it's as if like that's the problem. Whereas when we're seeing it as a trigger, we're thinking it's like it's in the presence of that, it is triggering the actual problem to be stimulated to create symptoms, which for the majority of my patients, they fall into the category of food is more of a trigger um, and that it's actually something else that's causing the problem, not the food. And I think that's really important when we're thinking about how do we get to the root cause? It's not about eliminating these foods. It's about looking a bit deeper. Mm, I love that. That's so interesting. It's so important for people to remember because, like I said, it's so easy to jump to those conclusions. And I know you touched on very briefly earlier about chewing your food properly, Mm -hmm. which I think is super important. And I can't remember where I saw this, but the other day I did see a video about this like micro camera that they've now created that they're testing on people eating and watching what happens in the body and if you don't chew the food properly in your mouth how it actually plays out and the stress that it can put on the rest of your body which i thought well like this technology is so advanced now but pretty cool but i would love obviously that might be another reason some people might experience bloating that and what are some other reasons that people might actually get really bloated or have severe bloating yeah, so definitely like uh, that That technology also sounds very cool. And <laughs> how amazing is science? Um, it's kind of, I feel like it validates a lot of the stuff that we preach about, like yeah. a bit of chewy food and everyone's like, does that really matter? And it's like, I'll show you. Um, yeah, literally. So I love that. Um, but some of the other things, aside from the how you eat and the stress, there can be a lot of stuff that's happening in the digestive system, like um, leaky gut, so intestinal permeability where your gut, kind of lining is too leaky and this has an impact on the different enzymes that are there but also the immune system can be dysregulated there can be overgrowths in the gut such as SIBO which stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or CFO which is small intestinal fungal overgrowth and these organisms in the presence of food they create gas you know because you know, these bugs eat food because our bugs, you know, eat our food. We feed our bugs. Um, and some of the byproducts that they make is gas. And if it's in the wrong part of our gut as humans, that feels trapped. So if it's in our small intestine, that's trapped gas. And so for people that feel like they're six months pregnant or feel like they're super farty or they feel like they're burping or their stomach feels really distended, that's potentially an over-fermentation issue. People can be constipated. Like you think about having stool in you, you're essentially corking yourself up. Mm-hmm. So nothing can leave the body. So it just kind of has nowhere else to go but out. So there's so many things that can do it. Um, but there are a lot of, I guess, common things that I see in clinic. And how would you get tested to know that that is exactly what you have? Yeah. So I, my theory is uh, test, not guess, because even though like, I think it looks like a certain thing, like I might say, oh, that's a classic SIBO person. I also don't know what type of SIBO they are, um, if they actually have it or if it is something else. So you can, so there's these types of tests that I use in clinic, which is more of a functional test area and functional tests slightly differs from perhaps that traditional medical model in that they're slightly more diagnostic in what they're wanting to see they're wanting to 
have a blood test to say, you know, you're in and out of the normal reference range, or they want to have a colonoscopy where they're looking for inflammatory bowel disease or colon cancer. And they're really important, but we come over to a lot of the issues that probably your listeners and definitely my patients are dealing with where they're no longer necessarily those neat conditions. They they are an issue of functional dysfunction um, and we need to look at different tests. So examples of that would be stool testing, comprehensive stool testing, um, different breath tests, even certain urine tests, they can assess for different bugs and metabolites and things in the gut, which tell us how is the gut functioning rather than is, does this gut have a disease? We don't, it's like, it's important to know if it has a disease, but you can still have issues without having a disease. Mm, it's so interesting. And so if somebody is just experiencing bloating, do you think that hundred percent still reach out, seek professional, get the tests done? Or do you feel like there needs to be other symptoms as well with the bloating? No, like bloating, for people like that can be the only symptom and that be the thing that reduces their quality of life. You know, they can't be intimate with their partner. They can't wear jeans. They can't socialize, Mm -hmm. you know, and eat what they want. They've got food anxiety, understandably, because they're just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen. So you don't need to have a myriad of symptoms for you to think this isn't good enough. And my gut's not right. You can just have one symptom that is that you just know in your gut. Like I know people like, how do I trust my gut when it's playing up on me? But like knowing your gut, you know in yourself that this isn't right. Mm. Okay, cool. I think that's so important to know. And it is, it's actually a strong saying, like trust your gut and go with your gut because there, a lot of people will say that your gut is your second brain, right? And so much happens in there and 90% of serotonin is also stored in your Yeah, there's a huge, huge amount. Yeah, it has such a, a huge impact on so many other aspects of your health. And if you can get to the root of what is going on in it, it's going to transform other things that you probably didn't even realize it was impacting. Exactly. I kind of relay, or I, I kind of think the gut is like the trunk of the tree. Um, and I'd probably say the nervous system probably shares that trunk as well. But, you know, if either one or both are dysregulated, you're going to have issues showing up in your skin, in your in your immune system, in your cardiovascular health, in your thyroid, in your hair, like all these different things. And they all have links to the gut. So I think let's get the trunk nice and strong and let's see kind of what self-fix, what self-corrects. And then we mop up the leftover. You know what I mean? So let's get actually the base of everything really nice um, before we think let's work kind of bottom up rather than top down. And I think this kind of just highlights maybe all of those detoxes or juice cleanses or things like that, that you think are going to work miracles on you aren't actually addressing anything that's in that trunk. No, Um, look, if only if it was simple as like a (laughs) cleanse, which I would say for people that have something like SIBO or IBS or fungal overgrowths, something like a juice detox, they actually might feel 10 times worse. So if that happens to you, like that's probably a, you know, a, a, a sign to wake up and think like, hang on a second, there is something really wrong with me. Um, not only because you've done a juice cleanse, which I think can be quite severe and stressful for people and I don't recommend it, um, but because there's like an issue with how your body is even just processing any food, even if it was of a liquid form. So yeah, um, it's certainly a bit more complex than that. <laughs> hundred percent. And so are there some simple food swaps or food additions that you would recommend to people to start to have to help with their bloating? Obviously, I know everybody's going to be so incredibly different. So on a general basis. Yeah, sure. So there's 
I guess like I'll start with inclusion. So I really like to get people having bitter foods, which I feel like we don't have enough of in our diet. This is probably a modern issue where we all think about bitter foods and I think our palates have been changed to prefer the sweet. Um, But really that is things like bitter melon, which is very, very bitter, rocket, Um, what else, broccoli, ginger. Like these foods are fairly like punchy even things like vinegar like they're things that kind of you even feel it in your in your mouth you feel like your your saliva kind of getting you know excited so bitter foods are really good to have and you can easily google a list of like top bitter foods and you'll find like a great kind of you know amount of them that you could be using in your diet um i'd also think you know general like apple cider vinegar before meals it's great for enzyme support also helps with blood sugar regulation that can be helpful for people so from an inclusion perspective, those are things that I like to use with my patients. From a what maybe you can swap, um, for, for bloating, a lot of people have issues with FODMAPs, which is um, a, a group of fermentable fibres. And I should say that avoiding these FODMAP foods long-term is not the answer. It's detrimental to your mental health and gut health but they can be really helpful for symptom relief. So obviously working with someone and having guidance in terms of, well, how do I introduce these foods again is really helpful, but looking at maybe lower FODMAP options. So things that are high FODMAP, which are common culprits for bloating would be things like onion and garlic, moving to things like chives or the, the green end of spring onions or garlic or onion in fused olive oil for flavor like those things can be quite dramatic um chickpeas and legumes as healthy as they are for the gut sometimes they can be quite fermentable and they can be quite harsh with their fibers which can cause bloating um and not just like a little bit of fighting here or there we're talking about like the painful bloating um and also things like dried fruit like i think people think bliss balls are really healthy um but also dried fruit can often be a bit of a trigger so i'm kind of picking foods where if anyone's health conscious and thinking how do i add more goodness to my diet and yet i feel worse i'm just kind of picking a couple where Mm. i think maybe that's where you might be kind of accidentally triggering yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, which kind of started my whole health journey was I had a parasite when I was a lot younger. And so it was almost like a tornado had been through my digestive system, just tore through. I was left with leaky gut and everything like that. And I wasn't, I don't even know if I had even started uni yet, or maybe I was definitely wasn't studying nutrition, went to the doctors and they were basically like, go on FODMAP, download this Mm -hmm. app and off you go. And it was the most overwhelming thing that I have ever tried to do on my own before. Like, do not recommend if anybody is having concerns about that, exactly like what you said, work with somebody who is going to guide you through it. There was no, you have to do this for an X number of time. Uh, So I was given information that I thought I had now had to live on a FODMAP diet for the rest of my life. And I was like, what am I meant to eat? Like, and it was, it just, it caused so much extra stress. And I think that that is also something that you did mention and we should highlight is the FODMAP diet is not a forever diet. Like it's 12 weeks or something like that, that you went to. Yeah. And, and like there, absolutely. And I definitely find that there are some things which, there might be certain groups of FODMAPs you might need to be away from for a bit longer. Let's say it is garlic that you can't have, or it is chickpeas that you can't have. They might be a bit longer, but yeah, you're really supposed to be on like a a lower fermentable diet for like, as in like the stage one of it for anywhere between four to eight weeks. And then really starting that great, like that 
that introduction process Mm -hmm. that is trying to identify are there certain groups that I'm finding particularly hard to digest and if there are some groups I can tolerate let's bring them back in and in my clinic I'm thinking about let's continue working on the root causes to help you then tolerate the other stuff. Because I think, yeah, like you said, people get given the diet and think, I guess this is it because I've not been told otherwise. And then they're on the diet for one, two, three, 10 years. And uh, yeah, we're kind of dealing with damage and issues, you know, as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And the bitter foods never, ever thought of that before. That is so cool. And I love that. And it's even interesting how you say that we definitely gravitate more towards the sweet foods. And a lot of the fruit in Australia as well is actually like genetically modified to be a little bit sweeter because our taste buds have developed over time to want sweeter foods. And even if you look at, you know, the back of the packets that have a lot of foods, there's even to, in savory fruits, there's always that little bit of sugar added to make sure that it's palatable and that yeah. you do really enjoy it, which is super interesting. So I love that incorporation of the bitter foods. What about when it comes to probiotic foods? Yeah. So I love probiotic foods and I kind of use them in my diet, but I know that for some people, they, again, this is a bit of a trigger for them. Um, It can be because the substrate that's been fermented like cabbage is the problem, Um, but it can be that they've got really leaky gut or they've got an issue called histamine intolerance or histamine sensitivity where fermented foods give them symptoms like uh, their face will go really red and they'll get really flushed. They might get diarrhea, headaches, Um, there's a lot of, so if you're someone that's like, I feel worse for having fermented foods, which is kombucha, bone broth, um, sauerkraut, or even just slow cooked food, don't think you're crazy. Like you probably have something else going on, but I really love them as part of the diet just for a, a healthy gut microbiome. But I do caveat that with saying it's sometimes not the food I begin with for my bloating patients. Cause there's maybe a two, a too few many, uh, like considerations that we need to work through before I can say, start, start bringing them in and, and trial them in the diet. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit, it's not really a straightforward question, but I do love them. Yeah. And I think it's great that you are cutting through so much of the BS around this, right? Because if you go on, let's take TikTok for an example, you know, you just get flooded with all of these different things that you should be adding in and you should be having this powder and you should be having this product. And it's just not, not as simple as that. No, it's not. And I think when it comes to, you know, the the difference between what's good for bloating and what is good for your gut microbiome, you're kind of giving different advice because the advice that I'm giving you for a healthy gut microbiome is maybe the stuff at the beginning I'm suggesting hold off on that for the moment because we haven't understood what's causing your bloating. So yeah, like, but the stuff about the fermented foods and the chickpeas and the you know, lots of diversity in the diet for a healthy microbiome is completely essential for long-term gut health. It's just not what everyone should be doing straight up when they've got bloating. You've got a few other things to work through. Mm, And getting to the root for them individually. And so off that, what would be some of the most common myths that you do actually hear around bloating? Um, Definitely that it is normal. That's one of them. Uh, I think that the fact that when your tests come back normal, that also means your gut's normal. I think that's what we spoke about before about diagnostic tests versus functional tests, which is, you know, the difference between looking for a disease versus uh, assessing and understanding functional dysfunction. Um, the fact that, oh, this is an, an, another one, but on the other side is that once you finish and get rid of bloating, that it's gone for good. And that's not true because if you, for example, 
put in a year's worth of really hard work, you know, doing everything right on, you know, for your bloating. And then, you know, a year and one day after you're like, stuff it, I'm going to go back to my old ways. You will get bloated. I, I kind of liken it to exercise. Imagine you go to the gym and you get really bulk or fit or whatever it is. And then you decide I've reached my goal and I'm not doing it anymore. You're not going to stay that way. And the gut doesn't either. So our gut is going to be always responsive to the environment you give it. So if you give it an environment that is supportive of bloating, it will get bloated. It doesn't matter what you did for years before because it's re- it's responding to your current environment. So I don't want people to kind of get their, like their hopes up and their expectations up being like, I just need to do this once and then I can do whatever I want. No, we need to treat our bodies um, with a little bit more kind of long-term respect than that, which is like we constantly need to look after ourselves. Otherwise, your body will reflect back on where it's needing help. And so you'll... I think that's- yeah, and you're forever changing, right? Like your lifestyle's changing, your environment, your actual yeah. body. And so it kind of makes sense that it's not just a one-stop shop. You get there and you can just... I mean, it's it it's because exactly like we know in every other part of our life that nothing stays the same. Like yeah. we have hormonal cycles that are clearly a forever changing thing. We go to sleep and we wake up. We get older. Like everything is constantly changing. The same goes for the gut. So if yeah, it's it's definitely um a deep dive at the beginning, but then we have to understand and educate people how to maintain their new sense of or you know, your their newfound balance and then you found better working gut. We need to understand how to um yeah, support that long term with really easy and sustainable things. So nothing too tricky, but you know, going back to things we've spoken about, like managing your stress, you know, I'll always I'll yeah. always remind my patients of how <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah because we all live such go 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 lives so yeah. fast paced we're always on to the next thing thinking about yeah. what else we need to tick off that to-do list that it's so easy to get caught up in that high stress state yeah oh look and I'm not above it either like I I can t- I can totally you know see myself more often than I would like being in a place of fight flight freeze and for me my symptoms of stress fortunately don't end up being six month pregnant bloat but I have my symptoms of you know skin breakouts and rosacea breakouts and poor sleep which is my body saying to me you're not like (laughs) we're not doing this Rachel like you know my body rebels too um so yeah it's very important for all of us yeah and such a good reminder for so many people as well and so in that fight or flight mode that our body can go into does exercise play into this as well i'd love to know because i specifically remember again this was like well before i even started uni i had gone for a run and i come back from the run and i was so bloated and i was like hmm this is interesting like interesting how this plays out so i it can so i guess it depends on the person how triggered and how chronic their nervous system is in a place of fight fight because you think about going for a run or lifting weights or anything we're actually deliberately trying to stress out our body in one way. We're trying to stress our cardiovascular system or stress our musculoskeletal system to, you know, increase in size or fitness, you know, like we're deliberately stressing it out. So, and our body also doesn't know that you're going for a jog for fun. It's thinking that you're jogging because you're running away from a tiger. Like it doesn't know that you're not running away from danger. So yes, you can you totally are in a place of stress and that happens and for some people it is a big trigger um and I would say to those people like going for those gentle exercise that doesn't mean you can't exercise but perhaps things like yoga or walking 
or Pilates or other things may not be as stressful. But there's also other aspects that I think about with exercise and bloating. And I also think about the different behaviors that we do around exercise. So how much water are we drinking before or during? Like, is it excessive? Because again, it's this thing of like, you know, your body actually, while we need to hydrate, it still actually isn't in that place where it wants to have tons and tons and tons of water. So if you scull two liters of water after you finish your run, your body's thinking, bloody hell, like I can't deal with that. Um, Also the same as if you're someone who uses like supplements to support exercise, like if you're using pre-workouts or things that might have artificial sugars or flavorings in there, they can be bloat triggers. So is it the exercise or is it that you're taking something every time you exercise? Um, Even things like protein powders, which like I use a protein powder in my smoothies because I want that extra protein, but you also have to remember that protein powders are very different to having a piece of chicken or a piece of fish where your body takes a long time to break down those whole foods versus the very quick absorption that a protein powder has in your body. And that for people can kind of move through the gut too quickly. It causes bloating. So I guess to answer your question about exercise, but like exercise behaviors, there's a few things that you might need to be thinking about and looking out for. I love all of that. And it's not just the one exercise. It's and you know again so easy to just overlook right like okay i need to address this one specific thing but it could be the other behaviors around that that are having bigger impact Mm, yeah and i i think as well you know it's it's interesting because like some people use running as a stress management and i kind of wonder which i mean i get i mean there's the endorphins you get it's like oh this wonderful drug it feels amazing but i also think about you know not just the exercise, but how stressed is that person on their day to day? Like, I think it's more a kind of, from a context perspective, we need to think about that. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love all of it. It's so interesting (laughs) when you actually like, you peel back those layers and you're like, oh, so much more here than just what is on the surface, which is awesome. Fasting, I feel like is, well, I mean, it's always been a bit of a thing going around and around. How does fasting impact gut health? Is it beneficial or is it the complete opposite? Yeah. So there's a fine line, I think, for fasting. Now, I say to my patients for one reason, usually to support, well, there's a couple of reasons, but fasting can be used beneficially in a way that it supports a cleaning process in the small intestine called the migrating motor complex. So this only happens when we don't eat. Um, But also we kind of, it's nice to have a bit of a, a break in between your breakfast, lunch, and dinner to allow your digestive enzymes and acids to kind of regroup. So, but going back to the cleaning one, um, I don't get my patients to necessarily do like a, a fast till 12 or 2 PM. I just say to them, have your dinner slightly earlier, maybe have your breakfast an hour later, half an hour later, and try to give yourself around the 12 to 13, maybe 14 hours of a break overnight. So I'm not getting people to do really day fasts. I'm just saying, bring your nighttime meal a bit earlier in the evening, just to kind of prolong that. And that's enough in terms of the overnight cleansing action we want to happen. And then I get people depending on their blood sugar levels, if they're pregnant, if they've got whatever it is, like is snacking a thing you're doing out of habit or do you need to do it for another reason? And for many of my patients, it's because food's there and they like it. And I kind of say, if we could kind of give it three to four hours in between your breakfast and your lunch and your lunch and your dinner, that would potentially benefit your gut. So that's kind of the extent of fasting I do, which is, I mean, you're still eating like three times a day um, and you're still like not, yeah, like you're, you're not really fasting. It's just for slightly changing that meal time overnight. 
fasting for those prolonged periods of time, more so when it comes to having really late breakfasts and things like that, is that your bugs can start to eat more mucus in the gut versus fiber, which can affect your gut lining. So your bugs can choose whether they get fed by protein, fibers, or mucus. So if you're not giving it fiber or protein because you're not eating, it's going to be looking at your juicy gut lining thinking you're on my next meal. So you can kind of accidentally give yourself a bit of a leaky gut or decrease um, different species that are feed that, you know, need to feed on fiber. So you can kind of do a little bit of dysbiosis in the gut if you're doing kind of crazy long-term fasting. So yeah, I, I like to do really gentle fasting, but I also don't even like to call it fasting. I just say move your nighttime meal forward and that's all you need to do. Yeah, it also almost just sounds like you're working with your circadian rhythm, right? Like you're eating a little bit totally. earlier when the sun goes down, having breakfast when the sun goes up, and that's going to change obviously summer to winter as well. Yeah. But you fast overnight anyway. So <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I love that approach. It is very easy to implement for people to give the bodies that rest that it needs to regroup. And I think also so interesting highlighting the facts of how prolonged fasting can actually play out and it can almost for some cases can do more harm than any good yeah totally um overnight fasting where i'm sleeping for the majority of the time (laughs) (laughs) yes i love it now i do have some quick fire questions for you are you ready for this ready what is one thing you must do every morning to set your day up um there's lots but I'm going to keep it I guess in the gut and food realm and I like to start my day with a fiber rich and a protein rich brekkie because I'm keeping my blood sugars good I'm helping my gut bugs I'm keeping my bowels happy like it's just happy days other like if I can have I can eat anything else kind of that day as long as I've kind of had that good start you know I know I've set myself up right I love it what is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life if we're keeping in the gut realm, I'm going to say slow down, especially at meal times. Mm. Really take time to just say it's now eating time. I'm going to put away my phone. I'm going to stop answering that email and I'm just going to sit here and be really present and grateful for my meal. And that's going to help your body go into a rest and digest place and you're going to feel lot so much better. So, yeah, just calm down, chill out and enjoy eating for what it is. Mm -hmm. And I know that even on your Instagram, you share things like taking the deep breaths before going into your meal. And one thing that I get my clients to do is put their knife and fork down between each mouthful, because so often we're chewing in that, that next forkful is like ready (laughs) to go. So just, and it feels the first time you do it, it feels so uncomfortable to like put it down and finish chewing your food and then pick it up again. It forces you to slow down so much. That's a great hack. Yeah. What is your favorite quote and why? Uh, I had to have a think about this. So I don't even know who says it, but it is you become what you believe. And I think that goes for all facets of life. If you think you're going to be, you know, bloated for life, then it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you are trying to be successful at business, but you actually think that you're a a nothing person, that's a bit of a no-hoper, then you're kind of giving yourself an unnecessarily hard time. So I think the the bottom line to that is like your thoughts matter and um, we need to kind of be thinking of what we want to have in life. And so I'm really trying to embody that right now. Well, I always have been, but like that one feels particularly true right now for me. Yeah. What the mind believes the body achieves, right? Like yep. Yep. the mind is so much more powerful than I think we ever give it credit for. 
Totally, totally. And as we said, we're speaking about bleeding and I'll always say to my patients, how's the stress? So yeah, we always come back to that. Absolutely. Now, one question that I love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or something that you'll be most proud of? And now this could be something that you've actually already done, which is amazing, or it could be something that you're also hoping to do in the future. Hmm. I think I'll play it as if like, if, if tomorrow was my last day and yeah. if I was looking back on my life, um, I'd probably say I've stayed true to myself. I think I've done things that growing up in a small town kind of felt a bit, I felt a little bit on, on the outside in terms of how I believed and how I lived my life. And I think just kind of being really resilient. I'm pretty tenacious and I just stick with my guns and I just try to stay true to myself. So yeah, I think I'm just happy with how I've conducted myself. <laughs> you just trust your gut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it. it's it's I haven't, you know, cured world hunger, but I'm, I've done enough in my life. <laughs> I love that. And I think that that's so important it needs to be celebrated and recognized because it means that you are now living this incredible life that you are that is aligned to who you are as a person and you're living it for you, no one else. Totally. That's, again, I what else could I be more proud of other than kind of waking up and being exactly who I want to be? Oh, absolutely. I love it. Did you want to tell the audience if you have anything coming up that's exciting for them and where can the listeners go to find you? Yeah. So big, exciting stuff coming. I've got a bloated to body confident course coming up, which is everything that I talk to my patients about that I work with one-on-one, which I am closing my books to one-on-one work soon. Um, So this is going to be the most accessible thing that you can do to actually really get rid of your bloating for good, because I talk about the root causes and how to kind of support your microbiome, everything, as I said, I speak to my patients about. So that's coming up very um, soon within the next month or so. And if you want to follow me on uh, socials, my Instagram is rachel.larson. And I'm sure in this episode in the show notes, you'll get the spelling of that because there's a couple of ways to spell those. And my website is rachellarson.com.au where I've got heaps of resources and um, yeah, things that you can look at to either start or continue your bloating journey. Mm. so powerful to be able to give so many people that resource of actually being able to go through you know the step-by-step of the process of going from feeling bloated every day not fitting into your clothes to actually being able to feel the most confident version of yourself because you know that you can fit into everything in your wardrobe which is great yeah I mean what could be better Mm. wearing the clothes in the morning and feeling still as good in the afternoon yeah I couldn't agree more. And you're right. I'll put everything in the show notes for easy access to everyone. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything that you have. I'm sure that so many people are walking away from this episode with some aha moments and some like tips and tricks that they can start to implement now to start to beat the bloat for themselves. Well, thanks so much for having me. Loved it. Oh my goodness, what an incredible episode that was with Rachel. I know that I am walking away with some golden nuggets, so I'm sure you are too. I would love it if you could share this episode with somebody that you know is currently experiencing severe bloating or discomfort or is very interested in this topic, as I'm sure they'll be able to get some golden nuggets out of it as well. I would love to connect with you. So just head over to my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's. Shoot me through a DM because as always, I love chatting with you guys, but I will chat with you in the next episode very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.